welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Amen. Can we give it up again for the praise team? I don't know if you peeped that, but they just did some incredible genre hopping from Travis Green to the hymns of old. And I love it all because they are unified in one clear message in Christ alone. Amen. So uh, well, welcome to uh, Bridge Church. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, uh, Rasul Berry, and uh, glad to have you here. Our lead pastor is actually on sabbatical, uh, James, uh, and uh, he and his family just welcomed the third Roberson girl, <laughs> introducing Sophia Grace Roberson. What an incredibly beautiful little child that is. And you see the smile on her face already as she came into the world on uh, Friday. So uh, Natasha, mom is doing well. Faith and Lee are very excited. I got a chance to FaceTime with James and them uh, yesterday and just kind of saw the, the enthusiasm that they have of being big sisters. And so, uh, so yeah, everybody's doing well and uh, we just praise God uh, with them. So I think in an attempt to make sure that we didn't forget who he was while he was gone, James instructed us to teach on the book of James. So he's like, you know, he's getting all these name drops every Sunday now for about a month. But uh, we're excited about this series because the James is, you know, the, is all about faith beyond words. In other words, James is all about that action, boss. That's, that's what it's all about. He's all about how do we, what do we do in light of the faith that we seem to profess? Now, the interesting thing about James is he was one of the brothers of Jesus. And we know from the scriptures that like many in his family, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah or the Son of God throughout Jesus's ministry. It's actually recorded in John chapter 7, verse 5. It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Which, I mean, I could kind of relate and understand to. I mean, you know, he's like, okay, big brother, you're the Messiah. Got it, right, son of God. You know what I mean? It's like he could probably remember, you know, him being like eight or nine years old and like skinning his knee, falling off the swings in the playground and just being like, I'm supposed to worship you? Like, nah, bro, that ain't happening. And so he was a skeptic who, for most of Jesus' ministry, he didn't believe and follow him. So then what happened? The resurrection. The next time that we see James and the rest of Jesus's family, they have joined the rest of the disciples in the book of Acts, Acts uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. After they've all seen Jesus, he's actually spent time with them 40 days on earth. And it says they all continued together in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Can you imagine the moment of seeing Jesus with the nail prints where he saw him crucified, the spear in his side where he saw the soldier thrust, and now he's alive and risen? 
And from that moment, it radically changes James. He ends up becoming, by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, the leader in the church of Jerusalem and the convener when they had to come together and kind of work out church issues, an incredible dynamic change. And yet, when we get to the James chapter 1, verse 1, he doesn't try to brag about his brother's credentials. And, you know, you know who my brother is, though, right? You know, I remember I have an older brother, and, you know, he was really good in basketball, and he was known, and he was like a cool guy. So I kind of was able to swim through the coattails a little bit just on the reputation that my bro- older brother had. But James doesn't do that. In fact, he simply introduces himself in James 1.1 as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all he wants you to know. That's all he wants you to know about who he is and what he's about. And so this is an incredible book. And I actually recommend that as we get into this series over the next four weeks, that you spend time in your devotional time reading through this book on your own. And part of the reason why I think that's particularly important in this series is because much like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, James is filled with a lot of sayings and commands that we don't have all the time to cover. Out of the 104 verses that are in the book of James, there are 80 commands. So again, he's all about that action. And we don't have time to cover it all, but as you read and kind of continue to reflect on them, I think it'll bring a lot of what we do surface to life. So today we're just gonna focus on one part of this uh, passage in chapter one, and it's trials, temptations, and truth. Now, James comes right out the gate. He's not a very wordy dude. Again, he's all about that action. And so after he does this brief introduction, yo, this is who I am, this is who I'm writing to, boom, verse three, or verse two, actually. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, This is one of those verses in the Bible that when I read, I just kind of go, huh? You want me to do what? Count it all joy when I'm experiencing trials. That's tough. Anybody ever struggle with this verse too? Like, yo, uh, I don't know. I'm going to need some help on this one. You want me to be like happy and joyful when I'm going through stuff. That don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Well, hopefully by the end of our time today, it will make a little bit more. But so we're going to skip down because he, he kind of goes off on, a, a, on another note. But then he comes back to this issue of trials in verse 12. And he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So he gives us a little bit of a backdrop for why why we can count it all joy, why we can seem like we're blessed. And the idea here is that, well, at first it's like, well, what's a trial? A trial of these circumstances in life, these difficult things that are inescapable in a fallen and broken world, the death of a loved one or friend, financial problems, illness, misunderstandings among friends, losing your keys, You know what I'm saying? Failure, disappointment, 
betrayal, abuse, unemployment, depression, accidents, loneliness, missing a train when you already late. Yeah, it's real. Not getting that important invitation. Physical pain. The list goes on of all the things that we encounter in our life in this broken and fallen world and that, we that, that are trials and difficulties that we must face. But here's one of the reasons why I believe James says that we can rejoice. Because one, trials reveal what's inside of us. You know, just in a few weeks that there's the Olympic trials that are happening, the U.S. Olympic trials in Eugene, Oregon. And there, there are athletes all over the, the country that are competing for these slots. See, you can't just roll up in Rio like, yo, I'm about to run the 100, you know. That, it doesn't work that way. They, you have to first be tried to see if Rio is in you. If you, if you can compete with the, the best athletes, then the fastest athlete. You can't just, just roll up into the championship. You got to go through the process. And so these trials reveal what's inside of us. But trials also expose and strengthen us as well. Yeah, they show us our weaknesses. They show us the spots that we thought where we were good, but we really weren't. Now, y'all know, when we were in school, we had like two different reactions to like test day, right? Like there was that moment where like you went through the flashcards and like you did the work in the background and you came in confident like, yeah, it's about to be on. I got this. We got this. We was in study groups and, you know, we did all. You know, and then, you know, and then there was that other feeling, the one where you got real spiritual, Oh, Father in heaven, I'm going to need you to, to do something because I ain't got it in me. And, and so there was a level of confidence that we either had or we didn't have based on the preparation. And so trials and the reality is how many of us would have studied if we if the test wasn't coming? We'd have been in class. We wouldn't have done the reading, wouldn't have done the homework. And that would have been it. But because that test is coming, we got to prepare for it. So the reality is that tests, that's why the teachers give them to us, because they know we're not going to do the work if we, if we don't, if they don't give us the test. So they expose and they strengthen us. And, and, and there's this other thing. So, and we see this in the regular world too, right? So uh, my man Brandon, where you at, Brandon? Brandon, come, come on. Come up here, Brandon. All right. So... You know, I have some goals in my life, you know, and one of them goals is to like kind of be swole, you know, what I mean? at least bigger, you know. So, so like Brandon, like how can I get to where you at with this thing? Got to lift. I got to lift. Well, you know what? I got you. I got you. I'm good. Hold on. Hold on. I'm ready. I'm ready. So uh, they say you got to lift, right? All right. Here we go. It was like some twos right here. So, um, yeah, like I'm getting there. Yo, I can feel it. I can feel the burn. I feel the burn. So um, that's how I get there. If I just keep doing these. I, no. 
You got to get bigger weights. I need bigger weights? Yeah. These, these tools ain't going to do it. So what should I use then? You got to use bigger weights. You need weights that are going to challenge you. Really? Okay, you got any weights like that? Got you. Oh. 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 So. Oh. Okay. All right. So these are like, well, 25. Okay. This, this is a little bit more. So like. I do like one of these and then I'm good, right? I feel the burn. I feel the burn. No, you need to do all of them. Okay. So, uh, so I do these and if I keep... So when do I stop? Don't. <laughs> like, never? <laughs> you keep going until you can't do anymore. I keep going until I can't do anymore. Okay. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it. So, so what he's saying is that if I want to get bigger, then I have to live bigger weight. I have to go into the point where it's hard to continue. So some of you are like, yo, I want some patience, God. I really want some patience. And then the Lord is like, all right, I'm going to put you in the gym and put some very aggravating people in your life. And that's how you get that burn. Somebody else is like, yo, I really need some contentment. Yeah, that's what I need. I need contentment. And God's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you some um, difficult circumstances, some less than ideal living situations. There might be some unemployment coming your way. Can you still be content? That's all right. Y'all get the point. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. So, so, the, the, so the picture is if we want to get strong, then we realize that there has to be resistance. The greater the resistance, the greater the strength. And that's why God gives us trials, because the greater the resistance, the greater the strength. You know, God tested me with this recently as well. As many of you guys know, we just moved to New York back in September, and it was kind of like this perfect timing thing because uh, Ariana just graduated from high school, June 2015, so we were moving here, so we were like, yo, this would be great. You know, she wanted to go to the college in New York anyway, so she's on a gap year. So that's what's up. So in January, February, we started filling out financial aid stuff, and uh, basically, we find out in about March or April that there was a little bit of a snag, because see, like, in order to qualify as a new, to like in-state tuition, you needed to have been a resident for New York 365 days before the start of classes. So that means like fall, like, so for CUNY schools, they start at the end of August. So that would mean that we would have had to move, be here by the end of August. We got here in September. So that meant that if she was going to enroll in the fall, that we would have to be pay, paying out-of-state tuition. Now, I'm looking at this like, you know, Lord, I came here to do ministry and, you know. So we're sitting there and I'm filling out the information and I'm like, well, you know, if I just kind of backdate our arrival, because we knew we was moving here in August. So, and, you know, I mean... And I, you know, and I saw, I ain't going to front. Like, I put it in, the back date. 
And then right when I was about to hit submit, there was this little checkoff box you had to select to say, I verify and affirm that everything to the best of my knowledge in this is true. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And in that moment was a trial. And what God was saying was, will you trust me? Will you trust me to provide for you and your family or will you try to put matters in your own hands and break my laws in order to get what you need and get what you want? So that, was a, that one was heavy. That, 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 you know, that's, we're talking $13,000 versus $7,000, you know, pushing back enrollment till January. But the reality is, as a result of not doing that, it reaffirmed my commitment to trust God in all things. And without that test, you don't know where you are and when it really counts. So he says, count it all joy and, and blessed are we when we experience trials. But the other part that we have to keep in mind is it says at the end of that verse that because if you persevere, right, there's a crown of life awaiting for you. Now, the interesting thing, it says, he who has remained steadfast under trial, when he stood the test, he will receive a crown of life. And this is an area that I, as I started to think about, I started to realize, what's that crown of life? So I started digging and reading, and, and, and there's this aspect where there's heaven, right, that you know, for, awaits all believers who trust in Christ. But then there's this element of rewards that are in heaven, and you see this in different places throughout, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, to, uh, to other places, and, and it's clear that Jesus is actually endorsing the idea of us seeing value and pushing forward and seeing a reward. And at some point in our Christianity, it became kind of like cool to not think about the rewards and doing stuff for rewards. Like at some point, we began to think that that was somehow like bad. Like we had to just have this idea that, you know, I'm just doing this for God. I don't want no reward from it at all. But that's not, Jesus says, look, count the cost. He uses an accounting term to say, look, like weigh the pros and the cons and see if actually doing things my way is actually better for you. He invites us to realize and think about and, and conceptualize the rewards that are coming and doing it his way. He so wired us for this sense of reward that we don't do life any other way, right? We always weigh the pros and cons. Should I take Uber or should I take the train? Let's see, how, what's my bank account looking like? We but it's hot outside. We do it in every other scenario. So he says, look, blessed are you if you persevere because there's a crown of life coming. How motivated are you by heaven and being in God's presence? How motivating are you? And well, let me try to help you out. Imagine life with no pain and no sin, no racism, no sexism, no violence, no broken promises, nor broken homes. Imagine the moment where you get to see the one who made you and created the innermost parts of your being that nobody else understands and can relate to, and he sees you and without even having to say a word, wipes every tear from your eyes because he understands and you have complete union with God. That may not help, but this might help. Imagine the fact, because you see, the fact that God is so glorious that our own physical bodies 
cannot even sustain being in his presence. And so the plan is for him to give us resurrected bodies so that our bodies can actually withstand the amazing glory of who he is. And in these new resurrected bodies, they don't get old. They don't wear out. Okay, that may... Jesus... We see this in Jesus' resurrected body. When he came back those 40 days and they didn't believe it was him and he picked up some fish and he started to eat it. He didn't eat because he got hungry because this is a resurrected body. He just ate because he wanted to eat. Imagine eating and not gaining any weight. Come on. I get excited. Ice cream? Yogurt? Whatever. Cake? That's you. Whatever it takes. But the point is there's a crown of life. And, and, And that crown means life upgraded. That's in every other way possible. And, and there might have been some areas that I, miss, that I may have missed, you know, reunions that you're waiting to have with loved ones, conversations you're waiting to have with people in the Bible that you're like, yo, why did you do that? Like stuff that you lost that you just wondered where it was. Whatever it is, it's life upgraded. It's not just laying on a cloud playing a harp. That's some fairy tale thing. That looks boring, right? Like God actually has us involved in doing things building things, making things, the very gifts that he gave us become unleashed. This is a crown of life. And God gives us trials to build us up. Think about this. Think about your best day, the best day you've ever experienced in life. Maybe a graduation or a birth of a child or a wedding. Think about the day that you go, yo, if I had to rank all the days of my life, this day would be at number one. In heaven, that would be the worst day because God in his presence physically would not be there with you. That's how great heaven is. That's how great the, the, the trial, if we can pers- persevere and make it through, that he gives us that. And the amazing thing is the weight of glory, God is preparing us for that right now with the trials that we face. So God gives us trials to build us up. But that isn't, that's just in the first verse. That's just verse 12. Verse 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself tempts no one. So now there's this other area, right? So we talked about trials, but there's this other fact of post-fall life called sin, called temptation, called, uh, one poet said it best, my mind is telling me no, but my body, my body is telling me yes. Now, I don't want to hurt nobody, but we always end up doing it anyway. So there's this aspect of temptation, and that's what it is. And the interesting thing is temptation is, it, it, it says, we're, you can go to the next verse. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So he said, look, you can't blame God with temptation. That's not like a God tempting you thing. That each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. And there's a big difference with this. Now, this term lure is actually still used in fishing. Fishermen use a lure to attack to attract a fish to a hook. Now, I haven't done much fishing in my life. I think I went fishing maybe one time. But my father-in-law, 
He's an avid fisherman, born and raised on the east coast of North Carolina. So I talked to him to kind of get my understanding going about what does it mean to lure a fish. And this is what he told me. He said, the fisherman uses bait or lure depending on the fish. So like this picture right here of this fish, that's a large or a big mouth bass. And they are particularly drawn to light things, bright things and things that move in the water. And so in order to attract them, they use this kind of fake fish thing. Actually, I got one here with me to, to kind of demonstrate this aspect of luring it. So they put this out there in the water. And in the meantime, they, they attract that, the bass. And, they kinda, and it, gets, it, gets, it looks at that and it's like, oh, I want that. But that's not the only type. There's also bait. Right now with bait, there's some fish like a red snapper. Anybody into red snapper in here? Yes. <laughs> I thought I might get some amens on that one. Now, red snapper, they like food like they like to nibble and they call nibblers. And so what people do there, they don't put they don't bait those with like just a, a shiny lure. They got to put some meat on that thing to get a red snapper going. So that, so depending on the bait, that's the thing. Now, with crabs, that's a whole nother deal. Because see, crabs, are, they have these claws, and so they just take the thing and take it off the hook, and they're good, and they eat it. And so you can't use a fishing rod with crabs. You have to use a trap. And so the, you, they put it down there, and they can't see, and they put it underneath, and then the, the thing gets trapped. And that's how you get crabs. So here's the thing. So here's the point. Don't, don't bring it back. Bring it back. So the first thing is the fisherman uses bait or lure depending on the fish. Here's the second point. The fish thinks it's the predator, but it's actually the prey. The fish, the, the, see that bass up there is thinking, yo, I got me some food. I'm about to go beast on this thing. But actually it's a trap and he's actually the prey. And then the third thing is that the fish has only immediate gratification on its mind. It's a shortcut. It sees it as like, look, I don't have to go through my usual hunting and working hard to get this. It's just right in front of my face. Somebody just dropped. This fish is just swimming around aimlessly in the water. I just could just roll up on it and just grab it. And that's easy. Boom. And they use that sense of ease in order to capture it. So here's my question. What lures you? If we were to go fishing for you, is it, is it the bright and shiny things? Those red bottoms? Them J's? That loot? That money got to get, get paid? What tempts you to compromise? Okay, all right, you know, you're not in the shiny thing. You're more like the snapper, right? You, you, you got, it's, it's the flesh that gets you. The way that that body moves. You got to eat. Or, or, or maybe you like, the, you, you like the crab that, you know, you're too smart for those kind of traps, right? You, you think you can outmaneuver it. And so they're really, the enemy ends up setting up a bigger trap for you, using your pride. And the fact that you think you can outmaneuver and outthink any test. 
We all have some bait that waits for us. And here's the thing, temptation always values short-term gratification over long-term gain. It, it, it starts in the heart and it works its way out. And we are lured and we are tempted by our own sin and desires and by Satan himself who's looking to hook us. And these hooks are sharp. I was just messing with that thing when I just got that lure. That thing, it pricked me like 10 times. It's a very sharp hook. So here's the next part of the verse. It says, then when the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. So, so here's the picture, right? So and it's so interesting that we're talking about this two days after little Sophia was born. Because you see, Sophia was born on Friday, but that's not when she was conceived. She was conceived nine months ago. But it took nine months for what was conceived to actually be given birth to. But then now that she's born, that's not the end of the story as well, because now they have another person living with them in their house that they're raising for the next few years. Sin is the same way. See, you conceive of the desire, and as it incubates in your mind and in your heart, it doesn't manifest itself immediately, but after some time, you, that desire, unchecked, unrepented of, unconfessed, will give birth to sin. You know, uh, we just moved, but prior to moving, uh, we lived uh, right off the R stop on 25th Street. And so the 25th Street says there's several ways that we could get from where we lived to the station. But one day I decided to go down, like walk all the way across 5th to 25th and then go down. And I got hit with this incredible heavenly aroma. Baked in Brooklyn is right there on that corner. And I don't know if you have ever smelled fresh baked bread before, but it is an incredible scent. And so I would take this route and walk, and I would it smell incredible. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm on my way to this train station. I ain't think, you know, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't even know where the door was. Until one fateful day, we were doing something else, and I happened to see the door. It was like a couple months after I had first smelled the smell, but I would still keep going down that road on purpose just to get the whiff on my way to the train. And then when I saw the door, I was like, well, let me just look around. Let me just see what's in here. Oh, this stuff is reasonably priced. All right, let me get one of them, 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 them. Uh, let me get a loaf of that. I came home <laughs> with all this bread, and Tamika's like, look at my wife, like, what are you doing? It took a couple months for my desire to be given birth to the actual action. But then once I ate it, see, those calories don't just disappear. They stay with you. <laughs> and they grow. <laughs> and you grow. As a result, conception, birth, growth. That's how sin works. Now, here's the amazing thing. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, he was led up, it says explicitly, to be tempted by the devil. Now, it is clear that both God and Satan participated in the testing at the same time. Now, for two different intentions, God intended to test to prove his son's righteousness. But Satan intended to induce Jesus to misuse his divine powers and to associate his allegiance to Satan. I want you to hear and hear me and understand that the same situation 
Joseph said this in Genesis chapter 50. What you meant for evil, God is using for the good, for the saving of many lives. So then what's the difference? Because you, you could be tempted or you could be tested. Well, it, part of it depends on your response. It's both an opportunity to cheat and an opportunity to prove your righteousness. There's something going on inside of you that wants you to do the wrong thing, but then there's the opportunity that God has given you to do the right thing. I'm going to help, try to help you out this way, right? So tests and temptations. This, this, if you can think about it, there's, there's several different ways that this plays itself out. Trials and tests are there to build us up, but temptation is there to make you fall. Trials help you keep your mind on the long-term goal, right? You know, I'm going through something, but God, crown of life, heaven, perseverance, let me try to trust you. Temptation on the other hand, think about no long-term girl. Just right now, get it, right now. You hungry, eat, go. You, you want this, you want her, you want him? Go, do it now, right. That's short-term. Don't think about the aftermath. Don't think about the outcome, what this might do to your marriage, what this might do to your, your desires, your goals. Someone's mouthing off at you, go off on them right now. Don't think about a possible suspension that the NBA can give you in game five of an immediate. So that's, try that's temptation. Now, trials, you feel pain now. It's hard. It's difficulty. But then later on, there's something good coming. Temptation, you don't feel, you feel pleasure now. But then the pain comes later. So you have to choose which pain do you want, the now pain or the later pain? Temptate, trials draw us to the word of God. We draw strength from being able to be inspired and motivated and, and reminded of who we are in God. Temptation draws us to the flesh and cries to say, hey, oh, this is what you want, go after it. The source of trials is God and the source of temptation is sin. Now, now, here's the thing about sin that I think is really interesting. There's three quick points on this. First, sin is an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. See, the reality is if we, if we were to peel back the layers of any sin that is tempting you, there actually is a legitimate need that is lurking beneath that. It's just you're meeting it in the wrong way. So yeah, it might be manifesting itself in being promiscuous, but really the issue is you want acceptance and love. It may be demonstrating itself in just this unhealthy occupation with your job being your life and you don't have any time to do anything else, but really there's something where it's like, yo, I don't wanna be in the impoverished situation that I was when I was growing up. And so, and so you're reacting and responding to this other thing, a legitimate need for safety and security just being met in an illegitimate way. You fly off the handle because somebody says something to you the wrong way and you have an anger problem. But that really, there's a legitimate need that says at some point in your life, someone abused you, someone rejected you, someone made you think that you weren't important. So now every time somebody kind of just hits that nerve, you gotta think I gotta buck up to prove to them that look, you're not gonna walk all over me again. So sin is an illegitimate way to meet a legitimate need. But here's the problem with it. Sin is a lie that we can find life apart from God and his commandments. This was the first lie that Satan told in the garden. He says, look, you eat of this tree and you'll be like God. Do it outside of the way that he's prescribed. You won't die. He's just saying that because he don't want you to be like him. 
He's holding out on you. Look at everybody else having fun out there. Go do with it. Go, just go, go. That's, it's, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a lie designed to destroy us. And that's what the last one is. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. You know, sin is like clickbait. Here we go again with bait. Y'all know clickbait. You're on Facebook minding your own business, and you see that Walmart is uh, giving away 1,000 free iPhones to the first 100 people that respond. And at some point, and you don't have to acknowledge and confess who you are now, you tried that, and you clicked on it, and then it took you to some survey, and then that survey took you to this, and then it just didn't, no, no, baby. There was no iPhone coming to you. It wasn't. Some article that never just had it, it just clickbait. It just was, it always overpromises and underdelivers. And that's the nature of it. And that's the nature of being on that hook. So temptation tries to tear us down where trials build us up. Well, how do we resist temptation and ace these tests? Well, James gives us the answer in verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. Of his own will, he brought forth, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Now, here we go to the next part. You, you can go to the next slide on this. I think we're there. Go. Next slide. There we, yeah, there we go. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. James gives us the answer. He says, look, get rid of the moral filth and humbly accept the word that is planted. The solution that God has given us, God's word strengthens us to overcome trials and temptations. It's, it's what when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and he said, hey, if you're the son of God, then, then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responded, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So then Satan goes in, all right, well, if you're the son of God, then you know, just bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. I'll tempt you with everything that you could possibly want. You're the Messiah, right? You're going to be the king of the world anyway. Instead of going through the cross, just bow down to me and I'll give it to you right now. You don't have to go through all that hard work. You don't have to go through all of that. Just bow down to me right now. Jesus, it is written, you should only worship the Lord your God. All right, all right. Satan's like, all right, cool. Here it is. You're the son of God, right? Well, it's written in the Bible that the son of God, even if he were to fall, that the angels would lift him up. So how about you just jump off this temple and show everybody that you're the son of God because the angels are going to come rescue you. Peep that. This time, Satan uses scripture because what he was saying was in the Bible. He was misusing it and misquoting it. And Jesus, once again, says it is written. You should not tempt the Lord your God. 
Why am I bringing that up? Because each time he resisted the temptation, it was through the word. He knew the word and resorted back to that word in order to respond and resist temptation. And that's the same thing with us. It says, but do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So there's this problem. So the first part of being a hearer is we have to hear the word. We have to listen to the word and we have to know what it says. So my question is simply to you, what are you listening to? If I were to say, it was all a dream. Okay, you can stop there. How do we know that? Because we've listened to it so that we can say it was written. I used to read Word Up magazine. That's what, that's what was written. Well, do you know God's word like that? If someone would say, hey, wh- where do I go to resist sexual temptation? Because I'm kind of struggling right now. I mean, is that really in the Bible? I mean, I think, is that in like man's rules that they made up? Well, what? I don't want to cheat on my, I mean, this tax thing, I could kind of just like tweak something. Well, I mean, you know, the government, they be robbing us anyway. So, you know, (laughs) what are you listening to? We have to be hearers of the word. And the interesting thing there is God even helps us. He said, look, you're hearers of the word. They're audio Bibles. You don't even have to read it. He's like, look, you struggle with reading it. Okay, look, there's an iPod. You can download the whole thing for free. Just listen. But also, even when it comes to worship, and we need to orient ourselves where we're hearing truth and we're hearing God's perspective on things so we're not misled by lies. What are you listening to? But then he goes on to say, all right, so you, so you check off that box, right? You, you listen to the right things. But then he says, but, but don't get it twisted, though. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because hearing without doing is deceiving. See, here's the problem. We can get into the habit of, oh, it's Sunday about three o'clock, let me go up and go to church and let me hear worship and, and let me hear a message from the book of James. And then we leave thinking that somehow we became more righteous. That's the equivalent of getting up in the morning at 6 a.m., getting showered, getting dressed to go to work and then staying your behind at home. But feeling good, well, you know, I got, I got up for work but you didn't go to work. Hearing without doing is deceiving because we think we've done some work when we actually haven't done anything at all. You can hear all the words you want, but then if you go out those doors and do the same exact thing, sleep in the same exact bed with the same exact person, cuss out the same way, Do the same thing. It just was, it just, you, you might as well have done something else with your beautiful Sunday afternoon. Because hearing without doing is deceiving. And James uses this crazy picture to, to paint the picture, right? He's like, look, it's like this. He said, look, because anyone who's a hearer of the word and doesn't do what it says is someone who's like looking at a mirror. And then after he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Raise your hand if you've looked at a mirror this morning. 
or today at some point, whenever you wind up, you looked in the mirror. Okay, that's just about everybody in here. Some of y'all just was like, look, I, I woke up like this. <laughs> that's cool. Praise God. You're amazing. But for the rest of us, we got up and, you know, we had a little bit of dried up drool in the side of our mouth, some sleet in the corner of our eyes, some hair that was out of place that needed to be nurtured back into the state that we wanted it to be in, whether that was a brush, a comb, a curl, a whatever, a gel, thank you. But whatever, we saw something in the mirror and we made adjustments in order to look a certain way. We saw something in the mirror that didn't look how we wanted it to look and then we changed it. And he says that's the equivalent of what we're supposed to do when we see the word. We're supposed to come and look in the mirror and then make changes to our lives. If we don't make changes, then he says, look, that's like somebody that just goes away and they come in here and drool still out the corner, sleep still in here. Nothing has changed from when it's happened. They say, yo, you got a little something. Yeah, I know. I looked at the mirror today. I'm good. <laughs> Makes no sense. But it's deceiving yourself because we're thinking that we're doing something. But on the converse side, hearing and doing is blessing. Hearing and doing is blessing. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. And blessed, it means a sense of happiness and wholeness, this aspect that all of a sudden now, because you've endured the test, you can go through the hard times. You're no longer weak and frail, but you're sturdy and you can stand firm. And when trials come your way that you didn't anticipate in your life, you can handle it because that word is in you. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then he answers his own question by delighting in your law. The whole Psalm 119 is a love song about God's word. How can a young woman keep her way pure? By delighting in the law. And he says, Look, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And there's this aspect. He says, first of all, you look intently into it. You can't get through this just with like a little perusal. There's something you got to look at and study and reflect on. But then he says that gives freedom. And I love that part. Because, see, the lie of Satan is that somehow these rules, oh, they just are so constraining, and I wish I could just have life and have fun like everybody else, and I wish I could wear with everybody else, and I wish I could act like everybody else, because that's freedom. And it's a lie from the enemy. Because true freedom is found in doing what it is that God says because he made this life. It's like the Bible is our owner's manual, and he knows how this thing is supposed to work. And so it gives freedom, but we have to choose which we're going to believe, the truth or the lie. And he says, if you look intently into that law, you will look back at yourself and see the truth, the truth of our sinfulness, our brokenness, but the truth that he loves us and he's there to restore us. What do you see in the mirror? of your soul that needs to be changed, that needs to be adjusted? What do you see? It can be a hard thing to look intently into that mirror and realize there's some things that need to change 
but it's good for us, just like those weights that make us stronger. Obeying God's word is the only way to overcome trials and temptations. It's the only way. It's what he's given us. And the thing is, and I couldn't go by it because of time, but he, but he says in his word, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, and the chief of those gifts is his word. And that's what he's given us to overcome trials and temptations. One, because if we don't know his word, then we don't even know what to do to actually apply it, right? I mean, the world has got us so confused about even what is sin and what is righteousness that we won't know just living life on our own and making decisions based on what we see around us. I saw a lady walking down the street one time with a leash around her daughter's neck. Like, you know those like leashes that they have like when they kids sometimes? It was around the neck. I'm like, no, nah, that ain't right. But see, somewhere, somewhere, you saw that in the catalog and thought, yo, don't go in the street. My parents had a different way to make sure I didn't get in the street. But that's for another day. So how are you being tested and tempted? How are you being tried? It's important for us to know and reflect on this in our own lives. As you're being tested, whatever way that looks to you, remember that there's a superior pleasure than the thing that's right in front of you. Remember the big picture that a trial is just the first step on the way and on the road to the glory that God has awaiting for us of his presence, of the reward that is waiting. And what steps do you need to take? Remember, James is all about that action. And so what do we need to actually do different? God's truth is there to mature us and to perfect us. That's what it says, you know, it says, look, this is why you can count it all joy because he who stands firm will be matured and will grow and I don't have to fall victim to the same things that I used to. Well, so for some of you, and, that, and this is, again, I'll just be very honest, and something I've struggled with. It's not like a test in the like, typical way of like, you know, just going through financial issues, although there's that. But it's a sense of like lack of clarity about what I'm supposed to be doing in a certain season of life, right? And, and sometimes we could just be like, God, if I could just get this clarity, then everything else would be good. And we almost put it in a different category as a trial or a temptation. Because it's not like I'm trying to sin. It's not like something really bad's happening. But this is what Mother Teresa actually said about this issue. When someone asked her about how did she know what to do, and she said, I've never had clarity. What I've had is trust. You don't need clarity in order to have joy. We don't need clarity in order to follow God's will. All we need to do is what he has put in front of us. And if we do that, then we can endure that test as well. Because maybe the lack of clarity is the test in this season. Will you trust me even though you see other people's lives and you see like they're on this very clear and focused pathway and you're like, feel like you're meandering through a wilderness. One time God took people 40 years through a wilderness. Will you trust me? 
And in trusting me, you realize that, you know what, the joy, the, the goal, the present is actually right there with me. It's God himself. Not my occupational vocation, as important and valuable as that is. Not where am I supposed to be with or who am I supposed to be with. Those are just details on the road. Those are like the little points of like a painting that shows you the picture that if you zoom out, you see a beautiful image. And it's like, yeah, those are just details. But will I trust God in the midst of that? Well, you might be here like, yo, you hit like eight different things that I struggle with. And I don't know if I could move past that. I don't know if I can do better. Well, this is the amazing truth is that we can overcome trials because Jesus overcame his trial. That's the basis for this whole thing. That's the basis actually for James himself writing this book. As we mentioned, he didn't even believe in Jesus until he saw his brother resurrected. If God can use the worst day in human history, the sacrificial death, the, the, the murder, the assassination of someone who never did anything wrong, who was literally God in the flesh. If he can use that and make that day, from that day, something positive and something redemptive and something valuable, then I think he knows how to handle a job loss. I think he knows how to handle a breakup. We live in a broken world where unthinkable evil happens every day. Last night we saw that in Orlando where 15 minutes away from where I used to live, 50 people were gunned down at a nightclub. It's the largest mass shooting in American history last night. And there are heavy hearts of those families and friends searching for answers. And as I was looking and scrolling through Twitter and seeing the different reactions, some of the articles were like, here's what you can do, give blood, give money. And of course, anything that you can help these families physically to be at a different place is, is good and valuable. But there was something that was missing, give hope. And, and the reality is that in times like these, in these tragic, tragic times, only Jesus can give us that sense of hope. Only Christ can help us to make sense out of a world that is broken and fallen, but yet in which he can redeem. And that's why it's important for us to not only just espouse and give lip service to that message, but to ultimately live it out. Well, as a result of this, that you can over, you see that we can overcome our trials, that they, they come to make us stronger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by faith, we count it joy for the trials that you've placed in our lives today. God, they're hard things things that no one else in this room knows about, but you know. And as the song that we sang earlier suggests, you work all things for our good. 
The rest of that verse says, for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose. And Lord, as difficult as some of the things that we experience face, the fact that you yourself entered into this broken and fallen place and suffered and went through a trial much worse than any of us that we've experienced and overcame that trial. You give us now the power to overcome. Would you help us in our lives today? Not just be hearers, but doers. And therefore withstand the test in the trial. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.